Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast. The old cliche goes that a week is a long time in football. Well, four months is an even longer time in football. And the Glenthorne that we are seeing right now is completely different than that to that, that we've seen at the start of this season, which is a, um, a reverse way of doing things considering how we start seasons usually and then um, pick up around Christmas time. It has been disappointing since we last spoke. Um, we have lost games too. We lost our Clittenville game. Uh, we lost against Crusaders and then we lost midweek to Linfield with a win over Portadown, sandwiched in the middle. Um, it has been difficult. We've now got a massive injury list, <clears throat> um, which a lot of clubs do. It's not ideal. Um, we're missing some key players, but um, things can turn very quickly. I obviously at this stage don't know the result of today's game. Hopefully we get uh, three points on the board and we win next week against Carrick. And then we've got the small matter of Clittenville away to set us up for going into this Boxing Day fixture. So two, I said at the start of the season that it was too early to make any big calls. It's very early in the season. Things are going well, but things can change. And it's the same thing now. It's, you know, things are going badly, but we just need to get back up on the horse. Um, before we get on to this week's guest as well, this is the first episode we've had since... Um, so when you're, you obviously, if you go on Spotify, you get your Spotify rap stats. Um, I get Spotify rap stats for podcast, for podcast makers get these stats as well. Um, and it was really, really interesting to have a look. Obviously, this is the first full year of having those those rap stats. Uh, and the, the numbers were, were really good. So I'm, I'm really happy with the numbers. You know, they're not huge, but they're um, they're good for a, for a podcast of, of this sort of size and stature. Um, so thank you very much to all the listeners, really, because that's it's obviously you guys come on and all the guests, because that's what people are are here to listen to is um, our guests who are always more than willing to come on and help out. Uh, I tweeted uh, a, nearly a year ago to the day that we'd hit the one thousand um, listeners milestone, and we're now getting that roughly a month. We're getting there thereabouts more than that each month, so that's great. And I also revealed that the, the most listened to podcast was Shannon Lucas, which is still the case. It still gets multiple listens every single week. Um, so you can go and listen to that one if you haven't already. This week's guest is Bobby Burns. Um, so I put a call out on Twitter during the week because I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get Bobby on. He was willing to come on. He was more than willing to come on, but it was just um, our schedules were sort of clashing. So it was like, right, well, we might have to go for a plan B here. Uh, so thanks to everyone who got in touch, and that is something that I'll keep in mind for the future. I, I would like to get fans on to talk about um, the season or the week or how things are going or just about themselves or whatever. So I will look at that, so I'll keep you in mind. Thanks very much for being Willing Volunteers. Um, so Bobby came on and he was, um, well, you know Bobby Burns by now. He, he's a great talker. He is um, very intelligent. Um, he's very keen. And he, this is a wide-ranging interview where he talks about not just his football career at the likes of Glenavon, Hearts, Newcastle Jets, Livingston and Barrow actually too, um, and then obviously Glentorn. But he talks about the importance of education, planning for the future, um, you know, the, the PFA. I asked him a question about the PFA and mental health of footballers and um, it was just great to get his opinion on, on things because he suffered obviously that double leg break. Uh, he's planning for the future in currently doing a, an open university degree and he's still only 23 years of age. Uh, Bobby was our player of the month last month and it's well deserving. I think that he's, he's excellent in, in that midfield role this season. He's 
Um, he's been really impressive, and obviously last season it took him a bit maybe to get up to speed. He said himself he was maybe a bit cautious going into the tackles, um, but he I think he's we're starting to see the real Bobby Burns now, um, and I would like to see him in midfield now. Um, and more often, I know that we've got a bit of an injury crisis, so left back might be the only place he can play. But fingers crossed, we see him in that midfield role a bit more. So that's that's enough for me anyway. Uh, here is this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast with Bobby Burns. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast. I am uh, delighted to have with me this week, it is Glenthorne midfielder slash left back slash anywhere you want on the play. He's Mr. Versatile. <laughs> He's player of the month for the month of November and he is now a bit of a goal stro- scorer extraordinaire. Maybe maybe contender goal of the season for that wonder strike against Portadown. It is Bobby Burns. Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks very much. That was quite an introduction. Um, it's a pleasure to be on and, and to get speaking to you. Uh, Bobby, so I think it, we should start in the here and now. Um, we're recording this the day after the the heavy defeat to Linfield in the League Cup semi final. Obviously, that is disappointing, and we're we're on a bad of a bit of a bad run at the minute. Uh, you take the good with the bad, but um, I mean, where, where's your head at at the minute? How do you, how do we get out of this? Yeah, it's extremely disappointing. Of course, it is. Um, I didn't get to sleep last night at three or four in the morning. You're just sort of racking your brain, and what can we do better? And very disappointing for us, obviously. You know, with a number of injuries at the minute and, and things just aren't haven't quite clicked, but we just got to face it head on. And uh, we made a magnificent start to the season, probably you know overperformed and really you know were fantastic. And obviously we've had a few bad games, but you know in in some of those games the performances haven't been too bad. We've maybe been caught on the wrong side of a of a one goal defeats or a couple of draws. And I think it's you know it's obviously very disappointing, and we're working hard to put it right. But you know I don't want to make any excuses we just have to be better and, and do it better and I suppose we've just got to work with what we've got if players injured or suspended we've just got to play with the players that we've got and um, it gives opportunities for other lads to come in and, and they've got to grasp that opportunity and I suppose you know it was a harsh lesson for some lads especially some of the younger lads who'd maybe making some of their first appearances but it's something that I'm sure we'll all learn from and um, we've got to put it right against Glenavon we just have to you know and I think for us you know, a lot of people are maybe focusing on more of the long term and what when you lose a game, what that may implicate you for later on in the year. But we just have to focus on the short term. You know, the next game's gonna happen. Who have we got available? Let's let's try and beat them because they will bring a good intensity to the game and they're a very tough opponent and, and Carrick Rangers the following week will be the same. So if we can sort of try and win these next two games and just focus totally on those with the players we've got, then hopefully we can build a bit of momentum. And, you know, the injured players that obviously are key players, you know, any team that loses players of the calibre of Conor McManaman and Shane McCartan are, 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 you know, it's not, it's going to be difficult to keep continuing to perform to the level that you had done previously. But if we can start to win games and just find a way to win ugly or, or, or nice, and then hopefully as those players return for us and you come into January and, you know, we'll build that bit of momentum and, and I think other teams have done that this year. Every team has had bits of wobbles and stuff. Maybe some teams have started with poor form or, or others now coming into it. And I still fully believe we've got a good squad and, and good characters. And, and we've just got to stand up to the challenge and, and hopefully um, return to some good form this weekend. You find it easier when, so that game was on a Tuesday night, when you're only playing a few days later and you try to get that out of the system. And then you've got the opportunity to, to right some wrongs in a, in a few weeks against Linfield. Is it easier when you've got this target really close to you that you can put some things right? Yeah, absolutely. I think after 
you know, a defeat against your biggest rivals, everybody's so disappointed and you just want to play again, you know, you want to go out and play again the next day and put it right. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do that and put it right against Glenavon because that's the pressure of this club is that their expectation is to win, whether you have 10 injuries or none. And even when Glen Torn were struggling financially and were in the bottom half of the, the Irish Premiership a couple of years ago, the expectation never really changed. Um, and I suppose that's what we have to manage. And, you know, we all came to this club with those aspirations to try and do well. And we know the quality we have in the squad. So we just have to try and put that right. And, and sort of, I suppose, from my perspective, it's focusing more on myself and trying to do my job well. And if everybody does that, then the team should be successful. I think sometimes when things aren't going well, it's very easy to look at what others aren't doing or make excuses. And I suppose, you know, I've just got to focus on my job and whatever job that is in the team. And if I have to play left back or right back or a nets or up front or wherever it may be, I've just got to give it my best. And and um, we'll see where it takes us over the next couple of weeks. But we will stick together and we will keep challenging on all fronts. And I, I do fully believe that we have a good squad there and, and some good characters this season that'll hopefully help us get through this. And, you know, we, we've lost a few games, but it's, you know, especially when you look at the games in hand, we've won our two games in hand, we're top of the league. So it isn't as doom and gloom as maybe some people make it out to be. And I suppose that's where these next two games, if we were to win them ahead of the, the Boxing Day derby, you know, gives us that bit of momentum. And, and it's funny how quickly things can change in football. We could be talking in two or three weeks and talking about how we're flying. And it's just, it's a, it's a funny game. So we have to just try and keep ourselves on an even keel as much as possible. I mentioned that at the top of the episode that you picked up the Glenthorne Player of the Month award for um, November with a whopping 80% of the vote. Uh, in my opinion, it was well-deserved. Um, what do those personal accolades mean to you? It's nice, but I would have taken a win last night or a few other points <laughs> in some of those other games, to be honest. Um, it is nice. Look, it's having, you know, breaking the leg was very difficult for me and then coming back last year and just trying to get that confidence back. And, um, you know, it was difficult. And, you know, playing, getting a good run on the team this year, injury-free, has been brilliant. And, and I think... Um, when Glenn Torn signed me, it was originally to play in centre midfield, which is probably the position I feel most confident and comfortable in. And um, it's just been good to get that run on the team and sort of show the supporters what I can do. And I still feel like there's more that I can show, especially in an attacking role of a number eight position and and getting those goals. And it's just been you know it's been nice and and to get the support from the supporters and and to chip in with a few goals has been brilliant. But as I say, it means nothing if the team aren't doing well. And um, I've got to try and you know continue to lead bring that level of performance more consistently into the team. And if we can all start, you know, pushing towards that, then um, hopefully we'll start picking up a few more wins. And, and that's what I would much rather than, than any of the personal accolades. You, you picked that award up playing most of the games in midfield. Um, you say there you feel more confident playing there. You've played everywhere, um, literally up front, off the, off the front man, um, left wing, left back everywhere. So what is that your preferred position? If, if you make us to say, where do you want to play? Would you say midfield? Yeah, probably. But I mean, I play any. I mean, first and foremost, you want to be on the pitch. You know, you'd rather be on the pitch at, in goals rather than being in nets. But um, yeah, look, look, I enjoy playing left back too, and especially if you you know get a chance to get forward and stuff. But um, just think, probably in the Irish league, I enjoy. I was probably from when I was ten and eleven. I was playing as a kid. I always played in centre midfield, and um, at times I feel like it's probably the position that I'm most confident in. But and I think. You know, the gaffer signed me to play there, and I think that's where he's tried to play me as much as he can. But obviously, last year, Moko had quite a number of injuries, and I had to sort of debutize at left back. And it was sometimes a little bit frustration, frustrating that I couldn't show the Glen Torn fans what I could do in midfield because I wasn't able to get that opportunity with, you know, some of the injuries. But as I say, I just have to, you know, do what's best for the team and 
um, especially over the next couple of weeks when we've got some injuries and just have to fill in wherever. But yeah, I suppose centre midfield is maybe my favourite position, but I think that's more just that I feel more confident there. And um, I was really enjoying that run on the team that I had, you know, and scoring a couple of goals in November was great. And I suppose it just gives you that confidence that you can you can still play in there. I haven't lost it all together yet. Uh, we'll take we'll take it back to the to the very start. Um, this is the format of the podcast. And uh, first of all, we'll touch on your youth career. Uh, you started your youth career at spells at Distillery and Cliftonville. Um, talk talk to me about that. Like, what was because you you didn't like you didn't grow up in in Belfast or you grew up in Crumlin. Is that right? So it's bit of, yeah, bit of a, bit of a challenge. Now you must have read Wikipedia. They say Lisburn Distillery it was Lisburn Youth. I don't know who wrote that one. Yeah, I thought it was youth because the same thing with, with with uh, Singo. When he was yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't give Lisbon Youth credit for either of us, but we were both, yeah. So it was funny. I, to be honest, I, there was no, Crumb United would be the local club to us, but they had no real youth teams at that age. And I suppose what I see the young lads getting now is incredible. And it wasn't really there when I was about. So the Gaelic was probably ahead of football in that time, that there was under fours, under sixes, under eights. Um, so that's like, the local Gaelic club here, Aldergrove GAA, is the team who I played for from. Um, I was about four or five years old and there was no real football provision. I live out in the country in Crumlin um, and there was a couple of wee five-a-side clubs, but I played football mainly at school um, and with my, I have a lot of cousins on um, both mum and dad's side, so I played a lot of football with them, older cousins, but I never played, played a little bit in primary school in P6, P7, but I never really joined a football team until I was in first year in uh, St Malachy's and I went to um, secondary school. Um, and I was my brother's best friend actually we played at Lisburn Youth and I was wanting to play football and I saw other guys in Belfast and heard about people so Patrick said Patrick joined Lisburn Youth with a friend of his and then um, I said well I would maybe think about joining so I went along to one of the training sessions I think it was the day before the deadline he had to sign so it was about 11 I think and um, they said oh but don't think we have any space so they let me train with them because it was there and I must have done okay in training because they wanted me to sign that night and then you know, it was funny, I, I never got to play in any of the grassroots leagues, the South Belfast or Lisbon League, whatever. It was just straight into the National League. And it's kind of funny thinking about that, but I joined Lisbon Youth at about 11 or 12. And then um, obviously just playing that National League side. And it was great. It was a great club, Lisbon Youth. Patrick, was my brother, was obviously there too. And um, yeah, had some great days there. And the club has produced plenty of good players and um, spent a couple of really good years there. And what about, did you move on to Cliftonville after? After yeah, Lisbon. so I was at Lisbon Youth then for about a year and a half, and then uh, all the big Irish league clubs took all their best players. <laughs> I stayed for I was there probably after about six months. All the Irish league clubs took all their best players because we had a pretty good team, and I then stayed for another year, um, and then moved as well. So Cliftonville were probably the best team in my age group, and um, went there. Guy Tootsie Kieran Barnes was there. We had a really good team as well. We won a couple of national leagues and all Ireland cups. Um, probably had quite a lot of players who were really good at the time that maybe haven't quite broke through and fulfilled their full potential, which is probably the case for many youth teams. You know, we had Dylan Davidson, who obviously went on to play at Glentoran. Yeah. Um, but a couple of other players that might just be names to you that were real good players at the time. And um, really enjoyed my time at Cliftonville. Like, it was good. Um, the Cliftonville first team at the time were winning a lot of league titles and things. So it was a good time to be at the club and there was plenty of sort of investment time going into the youth. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, that was when I started to sort of get playing centre midfield and then I got into the Mill Cup squads and Northern Ireland squads. So it was probably a time that, um, as I say, having come from the Gaelic background and playing the Gaelic and the football towards the end of my Cliftonville time, then when I was making Northern Ireland squads, I had to sort of start prioritising the football. And although I was still playing for Antrim Gaelic and under 15, under 16, it was 
the football was starting to become a bit more professional and taking up a bit more of my time. You you made the move to Glenavon um, after Cliftonville. Uh, Gary Hamilton was manager even back then. Um, he's obviously been there 10 years now. Was was he much of an influence on you signing for, for Glenavon at the time? Yeah, as I say, I really enjoyed it at Cliftonville at the time and probably, you know, you see what's happening now at Cliftonville. They are bringing three young lads, but at the time, I think, you know, the likes of Cliftonville and then feel the priority was, and Glentoran probably too, you know, the priority was win the under-15 league, the under-16 league, under-17. And, you know, I was playing in Cliftonville's under-16s at the time, but they thought it was a big thing to bring me up to the under-17s and, and they were prioritising winning those leagues where Glenavon, I was seeing guys in my Northern Ireland squad playing in the first team, training with the first team, which for me was like 17 youth team reserves up. And I was, you know, Cliftonville were sort of saying, oh, we'll play you up in age group. Um, where Glenavon were offering much better opportunities to young players and Gary Hamilton was showing, showing such a great interest and I think himself and Wendy sort of started maybe watching some of my Northern Ireland games and some of the games I was playing for Cliftonville and um, there was a bit of a connection there and kind of knew through somebody so um, yeah I ended up signing there and it was brilliant like it was mad the first night I went to Glenavon I was training with the first team Mark and Mark Sykes and Kieran Martin and great players there you know Reese and Singy were all there they had been a bit older and Basically, from fifteen, I, I was training every every day and with the first team, you know. And from joining football three years previously, it was a bit of a mad uh, change. And as I say, if I'd stayed at Cliftonville, I would have just been playing in the under seventeens or under eighteens. And um, so to get that opportunity was was great. And Gary was never afraid to throw us in. Like he's thinking back now, you know, if if I was to look aside and there was a fifteen year old coming on for us, you know, you'd be thinking it was a bit mad. But he gave us so much confidence that we were good enough to be there and that we should expect to be there. And um, as I say, like over the over those years, I got he was very very good to me, and I learned so many lessons from from the senior players around me, like so Chris Lindsay, Kieran Martin, um, and then like Sasingi and Reese and Sykes, you know, were very good to me, and that's why I find it funny that they're a few years older than me because I always sort of um seen them as like older brothers to me, the way they looked out, out for me, and and um I owe a lot to them as a club, like. You mentioned um, the sort of playing international football, um, and you were involved at pretty much every age group from under 17s up, uh, 17s, 19s, 21s, and you made the you trained with the first team squad. I think you made the bench for for a game for first team squad. Uh, what was that like uh, playing international football? Did you enjoy it? I suppose at that young age, getting away with your peers and away on those away trips, and uh, probably training almost full time when you're on those camps. Yeah, it was brilliant. Doc. The club and I set up and the professional youth set up through Northern Ireland was just getting started. But we, um, it was an incredible experience and one you didn't appreciate at the time. As I say, I'm an October birthday and I was always quite small. I'm still, still am maybe, but I was always really small as a kid. I only started playing football at 12 or 13, so or 11 or 12. So I didn't get into those sort of Northern Ireland squads until I was a wee bit older, sort of 15, 16. But um, once I think I got into the Victory Shield squad and sort of after that, in the other set, under 17s, I never looked back. and. It was a brilliant experience, you know, when, when you think now, like how professional it was, it was as professional as the full-time clubs, you know, you, we're still at now, it was great and, you know, it was a brilliant education for me into what professional elite football was like and, um, you know, again, as I say, you didn't appreciate the trips and the travelling, going to Poland and Israel and Spain and France, I mean, it was just playing in these youth tournaments and staying in lovely hotels and, you know the edu- the habits that it got it in us into yeah, with regards to nutrition and diet and fitness were incredible. And I think when you look now around the Irish league, a lot of the young lads coming through they're so athletic, and that partly comes from the education that they've got from Northern Ireland. And I think it has really driven the Irish league on, and that's why you're starting to see more and more young players be able to step in and be ready to play 
in Irish League football, I suppose. And um, yeah, it was a great honour to sort of represent my country and something that every time you play an Irish League team now, you sort of have somebody that you played against or played with in those teams. So it's um, great friendships and and uh, just a pity, you know, as you say, I got into the Northern Ireland senior squad a couple of times and made the bench, but unfortunately I wasn't quite able to make a, a cap. But I, again, some great experiences and, and uh, something I'll be very grateful for. People, you're, you're talking about the youth setups there and how professional they are. And a lot of players that I speak to always have multiple youth coaches, which had such an important bearing on where they are as a player now. Um, was that the same with yourself? Like you've got people who just recall players, even if it's mentality or ability or people who still are in contact with them. Yeah, I mean, as I say, when I, I, I didn't start playing football until a bit later, so I was just like a Gaelic player running about tackling head and, you know, wanting to throw myself into everything, maybe a bit like I am now. And um, I suppose I needed that sort of technical guidance. And um, right from the start, you know, Tootsie Barnes and, um, and Cliff Mill was very good to me. And then Gary Hamlin was brilliant, you know, like just, as I say, the belief he gave me. And he used to actually play a lot of the reserve games with us. So he would play midfield beside me and I did the running and he did the, the talking and the technical stuff. But the amount of learning I got from just listening to him telling me what to do. And Chris Lindsay was the same. You know, there's another lad, David Ellibert, who was from down south, was great to just talked us through the game and sort of taught me a lot of lessons in the game and I'd still keep in touch with a lot of them. And, and as I say, the likes of Reese and Singy too were very, very good at sort of explaining things to me. And, and they always, Sammy Clingham was another one that came in a little bit later, Kieran Morden. Um, they were great. Like they, they taught me what it was to be, you know, a good Irish, like what 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 it was meant to be. Johnny Tuffy again, the good Irish league player. And, um, yeah, as I say, like, I suppose through the non-Ireland squads, like it's amazing some of the coaches we had, you know, Stephen Robinson and Jim Magilton and, CB Field who have then gone on to manage, you know, Scottish Premiership or clubs in England. And, you know, it was, it still is, you know, the, the, some of the coaches that Northern Ireland have through the pathway are still very good. And, um, yeah, as I say, still would still keep in touch with quite a, quite a number of those coaches. You made your senior debut for Glenavon uh, against Linfield, of all teams, um, at the end of 2015-16, um, which is crazy to think that that's only six years ago. Um, I send the offer like the feels like you've been here, you've been about forever. Um, what's your what's your memories of your debut and breaking into the team? Were you nervous or anything? Yeah, well, I've been on the bench quite a lot that year, so like I'd actually played. The good thing in in Glenavon was we had the Mid Ulster Cup, so you know a lot of us had played in it. So when I was play, making my sort of league debut, I'd probably already played five or six times in league cups and um, Mid Ulster Cups and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was Morgan Ross Clark that day, so it wasn't an easy first Irish league out. Um, and I think it was the week before the Irish Cup final, so both teams sort of it was Lin, it was the same it was the same fixture, so it was Linfield Glenavon in the Irish Cup final the following week, so both teams sort of didn't play anybody that was going to be um, sort of involved in the final, but it was great experience for a sixteen year old, and I think we lost one 0 and Gary Hamilton played. He always reminds everybody he played centre back and got man of the match, he played <laughs> beside me. I don't know whether he paid somebody off the government, but he was quite good that day. Um, but yeah, it was great. Like uh, as I say, I probably was a bit nervous, and um, but again, it was good because you'd seen your players around you who always sort of assured you and talked to you. And um, I think in those days you had no fear. You know, now that I've played and I've had experiences and bad experiences in football, you're sometimes more fearful of what could go wrong. In those days, you maybe were stupid or arrogant. I don't know which, but you just sort of felt that every time you played, you were you were going to do well and that, you know, you just couldn't make a mistake. You couldn't lose. But um, yeah, that was, that was a good experience for me. And then actually I think the following year was my second appearance came um, with a few injuries at the time and I got an appearance at the Oval and it was a harsh lesson for me. I think it was about 15 minutes to go. Um, it was the first game at the Oval. We played and we were winning 1-0 and somebody got injured 
and he came on at left back. And I can't remember who it was. It was a Glen Torn player one two it round me. I was at left back and I watched the ball. And we never forget it. I watched the ball and the ball got bounced around me one two and they whipped it in the box and scored. And I think we drew. It might have been one each or two two each whatever we went. We were winning and we ended up drawing. But again, it was a it was a great lesson for me as a young player that I had to learn from that, you know, to, to track track the man rather than watching the ball. And um, yeah, as I say, then after that, I ended up sort of going on loan. But it was uh, getting those experiences from a young age is invaluable, and that's you know getting a chance to showcase yourself, but also you know actually testing yourself at that level and seeing what you need to do. And and some players can fold, but the others will learn. And I suppose that's where. That was a harsh lesson last night for all of us, but particularly for those young lads, it's it's a good opportunity to actually see what they need to work on or what things, you know, what it's like to play a game at that level. And hopefully that exposure will stand them in good stead. Glenavon were doing quite well around then. They were challenging up towards the, the top end of the table, qualifying for Europe, winning Irish Cups, making cup finals. Uh, but in the, the January of the following year, you went on loan to Knockbreda, which would have been a complete um, switch for you because you went from at a team that were challenging up near the top of the table to a team who were battling relegation. Um, what was that like? Was that a valuable experience to go in there and try and help them out of a sticky situation? Yeah, it was great. But I mean, it was the difficulty there was Glenavon had a big squad, and as you say, they were challenging to play in Europe. I was probably not good enough to play in the first team yet, but was comfortable playing in the reserve league. And I think there's lots of players like that in in every every you go to every Irish league club. You know, I was getting to that age, but probably. Was a seventeen maybe, and uh, was finding the reserve league comfortable. It was maybe against other guys my own age, and and um, but I wasn't maybe ready to go into the first team, or I wasn't trusted to go in yet. Um, and uh, the option that maybe to go to, I think there was a couple of clubs in the championship interested, but Gary was very good. I kind of wanted to go to the big teams and try and challenge to win, and that was my you know go for the glory. And Gary was very keen that I went to a manager in Gareth Gates that he really trusted, who kind of pretty much promised I would play every week, and he said. It, doesn't matter where the team end up at the end of the season, you're leaving and I go and play games and went to knock Breda and actually played in behind the front man as like a number 10, number 8. But it was a great experience and Michael Halliday was there, obviously a Glen Torn legend, a couple of good pros there and we lost I think the first two or three games and we were at bottom of the league and then we just went in a brilliant run. I think I was only there for about eight matches and at the same time the Northern Ireland Centenary Shield team were playing so we ended up, it was an unbelievable four or five months because we won the Centenary Shield with Frankie Wilson's team and I was captain of it under 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 eighteen, which was great. But I think I, I scored something like eight goals in eight games for Nakbreda, and we stayed up on the last day of the season. We beat Armagh City, and I scored one off my shoulder and another one that sort of deflected in, and it was just great, you know, brilliant experience, I suppose. And I think the biggest thing for I I believed I was good enough to play in Glenavon's first team, but you have you know sometimes I suppose going on loan. I did learn a bit and I got a bit stronger and did things a bit quicker. But it was almost like a message that when I came back to Glenavon and noticed a big shift, I went from being this young lad that had potential to then people actually seriously considering me as a first team player. You know, and it was I suppose the goals do that because most people check the scores at the weekend. And if you play well and you don't score, or if you play rubbish and you score, people probably think, God, he did well today. Score, you know, because they haven't been at the game, they've just checked the, the score. So I think when I went back to Glenavon, there was a real shift that he's sort of ready now to play in our first team. And, and, um, as I say, I was lucky again. Reese Marshall and Sykesy were suspended for the first game when I came back to Glenavon. They had so many yellows or whatever, so I started the first game against one point and uh, scored the winner in the last minute. And then the following week, I think we played Balna Mallard, 1-6-1, and then the next week we played Balamina and I scored again. And it was just <laughs> amazing that I just went in this run. We could, you know, we went in a great run at the start of the season like we've had this year at Glentorn. And um, I just never looked back. I just sort of kept playing in the team. And as I say, 
moved about different positions and played wherever, but it was just a, a magical year kind of doing my A-levels and starting to sort of enjoy going out and just having that experience, those experiences. It was it was a really good year. It was an impressive year. Glenavon uh, finished third, uh, secured European football, and you were nominated for, for Young Player of the Year. Um, so it must have been must have been pretty special for you to, to get that nomination after coming from sort of being alone at a championship club and then making the, the step up. Yeah, as I said, it all happened so quickly and it was great. It was it was a mad year because I was doing my levels and I was getting up at half six to get the crumbling bus into St Malachy's. It was, you know, probably uh, sneakily playing the odd school Gaelic and football match, which is mental thinking back now. You know? <laughs> rubbing my knees, rubbing the mud off my knees to turn up to Glenavon training and... Um, you know, play out of doing the head boy duties that was there at the time in Somalia's and it was brilliant. Like, uh, as you said, there was no, I just had no fear at the time. I was, you know, we were going away with Northern Ireland on different trips too, so it was, it was quite mental. But we had a great young team. Like when you look at some of the players that Glenavon had then, if we'd been able to sort of hold on to, you know, Avery, Singy, Sykesy, Joel Cooper, um, you know, there's others, Robbie McDade and Shane Lavery, Shane Lavery and stuff were there previously. That and Conor McKendry, it was, you know, it was incredible. And Caelan Marin and and you had other sort of then senior pros, Tuffy um, and Kieran Morton, Chris Lindsay, like there was a real um, good team there. I'm probably leaving people out. Andy Mitchell's another one. Like we had, we had a really strong team and um, yeah, it was great to make Europe, like to, to make Europe that age and finished, I think we finished above Linfield actually. who had finished fourth and, and Crusaders and Coleraine won the league, or Crusaders won the league that year, but it was uh, a brilliant experience as you say and um, it was great education to get to play in so many different positions. I think that's where I learned my versatility. I think Gary was very good at teaching me how to play different positions and giving me that exposure. And um, I've been the John O'Shea at, at clubs ever since, thanks to him. <laughs> so, it's got me plenty of appearances, but it's been hard to get a run on the team from since he, he showed everyone I was versatile. <laughs> that's ironic from Gary, because when he's at the Clans, he, he was centre forward, he took free kicks, he took penalties, he took corners. He wouldn't let anyone else have a go. He was very much... He was... He was a one one position man. <laughs> I can imagine. He was the same in our reserve league. You thought he had a goal bonus. He wanted to take the free kicks and penalties, but I mean, he was still some player. He could hit the eggs for fun over the shoulders. But he, uh, no, I mean, when I mean, you talk about coaches that had an influence, I suppose he was definitely one for me. Yeah, I loved him at the Glen. So he was a great player for us. He really was. Uh, and that that summer, then people started to set up and take notice um, of Bobby Burns coming through. Um, there wasn't just just Glenavon was littered with these players. The whole talk was, um, you know, about yourself and Reese Marshall and where were you going to go next? And you got your move to Hearts, but before that, you were offered an opportunity to go elsewhere in England, but you turned it down. What what was the the thinking behind that? Was it a tough decision to make? Well, that was when I was sixteen. Yeah, so when I was I'd done a year at Glenavon, um, and then a, kind of shortly after the the debut and Mark Ross Clark and stuff at, at Linfield. Or that day at Mournview against them. Um, Bristol City and Rochdale offered me sort of YTS, the sort of apprenticeship contracts. Um, yeah, and like it was great. I mean, Rochdale was obviously more like your grassroots sort of um level. You'd imagine the sort of bottom league one, league two levels in England. But Bristol City were a big championship club, a great city, and it was very impressive. But I kind of spoke to some of the Northern Ireland managers and spoke to the people at Glenavon, and I made it. I mean, it was a great. Looking back, I'm delighted I made the decision I did because. Um, my mum was a French and Spanish teacher and she was very much pushing me to stay in education and it was great like I think when you look at the stats at 16 I wasn't physically mature ready to go to England and live on my own or live with the host family and 91% I think at the time was being sort of touted about as being the number of players that went there and failed and 
and uh, it's a ruthless industry. You go there, you do two years, and the end of it, you know, you've you've no education, and it's a very very tough industry. So I stayed, and Gary was very much adamant that if I stayed, I would get into his first team, and I'd be ready to go. So it was brilliant for me to get my A levels, enjoy the experience, sort of mature and spend. You know, I definitely think when you when it was by the time I was eighteen, I was a lot more mature and ready to go, and and physically sort of up and ready that I'd played men's games and I could step into a Hearts first team and challenge rather than going into the youth team so um, it was a difficult decision and you do sometimes wonder will will the opportunity ever you know come up again and god this is an opportunity to be a professional footballer which has been my dream but I was delighted that I was kind of patient and to be honest I could have been even you know potentially even more patient but by the time the sort of that next summer sort of 2018 came around there was a couple of teams in England and, and Scotland interested but Hearts were particularly keen and um, Austin McPhee was an all-around assistant manager at the time but also Hearts assistant and he was very keen and Edinburgh is an, I mean, it is an incredible city and it was just too good an opportunity to turn around and I mean I could have probably stayed for another year and, and been even more ready to go but um, I just thought it was the right time to go then. Hearts is a huge club in Scotland uh, and Tynecastle is an amazing stadium. Was it the just the, the combination of that along with Austin McPhee that made, that made you go there or was there temptation to go elsewhere? There was probably temptations to go elsewhere. I mean, looking back now, I mean, it was probably a big, maybe too big a jump to try and go from Glenavon to, to there. It might have been good to to sort of go somewhere else and try and, you know, learn my trade and, and play at a level where I was going to compete to play. Hearts was quite a... I mean, like, the demands at Hearts were similar to Glentor and you want to win now and the, the fans were very passionate in that way too. So it was a hard environment to be coming through at 18 years old and I think we signed something like 31 players or something ridiculous the first year I was at Hearts. So it was a lot of players and... It, you know, it, it probably wasn't the most stable club when I was there and that, you know, in my second year, there was about three managers sacked and that's difficult for any young player. Managers signed in and, you know, I went in a couple of loans, but um, like I loved Hearts, a great club, like the, the games I played and the appearances I played were brilliant. Sort of played predominantly at the F-back and I would love to have had a bit more of an opportunity maybe to play in midfield, but got to play in some amazing games. Yeah, Edinburgh Derby and games against Rangers and Celtic, so it was... It was an unbelievable experience, and again, you're 18, you think that's just going to last forever. You're going to have an all nine under 21s and beating Spain and coming back the next week and playing Rangers, and you just think, this is the way life's going to be. But, <laughs> you know, you probably don't quite appreciate it at the time, what you're kind of doing. And um, it was a great club, and then obviously went on loan to Livingston, but it was, again, I think it's very difficult when you go on loan, and it's something you probably look at a lot of the Northern Ireland under 21 players going on loan now. You're, you're not their player, you know, had I maybe signed for Livingston permanently, they'd have been looking at me as one of their own that they can resell and they, you know, that they see the value in sort of nurturing and developing for their own good or for, the, for them to be able to sell them. When you go on loan at a club, they're very much looking at you in the short term and thinking, what's the point in us playing him if he's going to leave anyway or we're not going to get any sell for him? So was it, it was difficult at Livingston that way that you're going and maybe it wasn't, you know, it was a very much a men's dressing room. Like I was 18 and you know, maybe the next youngest player might have been 23 and most of the guys, the average age of our team was probably close to 30 and we played a back five of nearly five centre-backs and we were like the Wimbledon of old, you know, first it was this, Livingston's first year in the Premiership so it was it was difficult that way but it was great, like I got a good education there again and um, it was good to see another Scottish Premiership club play again and a couple of big games but it was, when I signed on loan the team went on a really good run, it was hard to get in and um. Again, experience I enjoyed. I was able to play with some good players and I broke into the team and that was when I got my Northern Ireland call-ups and stuff. So I was doing well towards the end and then um, Hearts were called me in January. You went back to Hearts in January and 
this was a hard team that then went on to make the Scottish Cup final. You played in the in the semi final. Uh, were you disappointed then not to not to get off the bench in the final? Okay, yeah, but I think in, in life you always want more, don't you? You know, it was brilliant to play in the semi final, but um, I was amazing. Like I obviously came back, played in the Edinburgh Derby, Rangers, you know, Rangers and Celtic game, and the semi final Scottish Cup was a brilliant occasion to be part of, and Mum and all had came over for it, and um, yeah, look a little bit disappointed not to play in the final. I'd actually played quite a few of the you know, Iron Hickey and I had played most of the games coming up to it and it was probably one where it was maybe a tight call of which of us was going to play but um, Iron Hickey then went on to Bologna for 1.5 million and played in the Serie A <laughs> very well for the last few years and has since signed for Brentford in the summer for 14 or 15 million pounds so I think they made the right decision he's playing he, he was playing every week in the Premier League now so I think they made the right decision of who to play that day um, and obviously that was kind of he was only about 17 at the time so that was like a real really kick-started his, um, his career. But yeah, a little bit disappointed. And the, the frustration was I, I was he was cramping up badly during the game. So I was ready to come on and I was kitted out to come on. We were winning, it was one each in injury time. And I was being told, right, once it gets the extra time, we get the fourth sub, you need to come in. He, he He's going to have to come off. So I was kitted out, ready to go, ready to play in a big Scottish Cup final, thinking this is great. And, and then Edward, I think it was, scored in the 90-something minute. Um, so I sat back down and put my tracksuit back on and took my runners up medal. So it was <laughs> just funny how these things work. You know, it would have been, I was thinking, you know, imagine you come on here, Scottish Cup final, you could score the winner, anything could happen. It would have been amazing, but uh, it wasn't the day. But a, a great experience to be part of and to have that Cup final experience in the suit and just disappointing. I was able to win it, but um, it was a good first year for me and, and lots of learning and a sort of first year in sort of full-time football. What about the the Edinburgh Derby? Um, because it it's probably underrated by people who don't follow Hibs or Hearts. It's a mass occasion. I've got loads of friends here, Hearts fans. I go over to the Edinburgh every November and would sometimes take in a Hearts game. So what what was that like? That that Edinburgh Derby? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it's ferocious. Like it's probably quite you know in a similar way than in Finland Glen Torn Derby. Only there's probably a slightly bigger crowd on, but it's that same intensity. It was probably the first time. I- couldn't actually hear my teammates on the pitch, you know, when they were shouting man on. It we really couldn't. The noise was, was brilliant and um yeah, great experience as I say. It's funny Edinburgh's such a nice city and people are so nice, but in those games there's the pleasantries are out the window and um yeah, as I say it was great. Like I love absolutely loved Edinburgh. I would love to um you know, it's somewhere I would potentially think of, of living in the future and um but it was a very sort of ferocious derby and one that you could have put done with taking a putting a builder's hat on when you were trying to take corners. Let's just say. <laughs> it wouldn't take you to get a calf injury in Edinburgh or the Mount of Hills when you're walking yeah, around the city. You're right, yeah. Walking around there, you wouldn't want to be doing up the day before a game up around the castle on either sea, but it's a great place. Lot like such brilliant people and lovely wee cafes and, and restaurants and golf courses. So um my kind of place. <laughs> Well, the, the following season um, was a bit of a tough one at Hearts. Um, that you find your opportunities limited, but that sort of opened up this this other opportunity to you, and that was to go on loan to Newcastle Jets of the the A League in Australia. How did that move come about? Was there any sort of hesitations whenever they were saying do you want to come and move to the other side of the world? Yeah, as I say, the difficulty at Hearts at that time was it wasn't particularly stable, so it's hard to know where you stood. I think, as I say, we signed about thirty players in the first year more in January and then in the next summer we signed another raft of players and um, I suppose Hearts were trying to get you know that, that reached the level of success that they wanted but 
Um, we signed a lot of new players that summer, and um, I asked to go out and loan, and there was a couple of loans that was close to going to, but didn't work out. And then um, it was funny. The I think basically the connection was we had about three Australian players in the team at the time, and one of them, uh, Ali Bazanich, his the CEO of the Newcastle Jets was used to be the manager of Central Coast Mariners. You know when pre when he was younger, and Ali Bazanich was one of his players. So I think he constantly kept in contact with Ali Bazanich and always said to him, if there's any players that you know of that are decent or whatever, you can make a shout. So I think Ollie heard that I was available and that I wasn't quite getting into the Hearts team. So he rang Laurie without me knowing. And then he sort of came up to me one day after training and said, would you be interested in going to Australia? And I kind of wasn't sure what he meant or was he talking about a holiday or what the crack was. And um, he just said, look, I've been talking to... For a good friend of mine, an ex-coach or whatever, he's now the CEO of Newcastle Jets. He's, you know, they'd be interested in you. They've watched a lot of clips on you or whatever. And since he must have hinted about it, and um, yeah, Laurie was an absolute legend. Like he's from Glasgow, um, and sort of he sort of spoke to him, and it was an unbelievable experience. I had a couple of offers to stay in the UK, but um, something I always wanted to do, and probably something I would still consider doing again in the future. You know, going abroad and having that experience. It was just. Uh, Totally different lifestyle. Very, very, you know, different. But, you know, some parts of it you missed and some parts were just great. But we had Wes Hulahan there at the time. Um, he was another Irish lad. So, um, and a couple of other really good young lads. And Joe Ledley was there. Kenny Miller ended up man- being the assistant manager with Carl Robinson. So it was, it was a great time to be there. And Newcastle was another incredible city. So I was very lucky and very fortunate that that opportunity came about. And Newcastle was an incredible city. And, um, I was very well looked after. The guy Laurie particularly was very, you know, thinking about things that no, you know, and this is where I suppose in England and the UK you don't get that. People are maybe more ruthless. He was ringing me up and asking me how what I was doing for dinner and getting local sponsors. Did maybe that were restaurant owners that you know said for me to go around and get dinner and set me up with community groups and um, places that I could volunteer and just get to know people. And I ended up becoming a real you know good part of the community and making friends outside of it and. Um, yeah, as I say, it was brilliant. Like he ended up, you know, working in a homeless shelter and a Ronald McDonald house at different points, and it was brilliant. Like it was really, really cool. Um, and unfortunately, I think they had offered me sort of a deal to stay past that if I wanted to. But as I say, Hearts Hearts had a really difficult season that year. They was three or four managers and got relegated. And it was just unfortunate because I was having a good loan, playing every week and you know, really enjoying the Australian experience. I was playing regularly, and um, obviously the Hearts that I had left. In a Premiership club, but wasn't you know weren't in the same position when I came back, and um, as I say, when I sort of came back, they were obviously relegated. There was a lot of sort of financial cuts, and um, I think the season was being moved because of COVID and stuff. So it was just unfortunate how things sort of worked out in that period because, um, and then the A League had been shut down and wasn't starting back to the next January, so it was a difficult sort of time for me to come back during COVID. But it was uh, no, the Australian experience was class, like just even seeing that climate and, and how, you know, like the, the managers didn't do team talks after games, they approached things differently there. But some of the stuff they did on S&C and nutrition were very good, but I missed the intensity. You know, you lost 3-0 there. The fans were praising you and clapping you off just because you were there and you tried <laughs> where you don't get, you know, you're, I missed that intensity of wanting to win. And sometimes the Australians were very laid back, which was frustrating at times because you want, you know, you knew that we could have done a wee bit more as a team, but, um, yeah, obviously came home from there and then entered into the COVID-19 pandemic. What about the 
two main takeaways from playing in Australia. A, it's absolutely roasting. So what was that like? And the other one is it's massive. So what's the, the travelling? What Those two things, the, were, they, were they difficult? I remember about the first week I got there, I was jet lagged. I went to play Adelaide. It was 35 degree heat and I came on for seven minutes. And I remember thinking, I'm going to, I was looking at flying zone and I was thinking, I can't do this. People are going to look at this alone <laughs> and say he played like seven minutes, 10 times. I was, I was like, I, I was dying. But it is, it's very funny how your body just somehow adjusts. And one of, you know, the likes of all the three Australians that had been out in, in Scotland when I was getting advice off them, that's one of the things they said to me was, you know, your body will adjust and others are struggling just like you. And some of the games were in the evening, it was okay, but all the games were scheduled at different times for TV. So it was a four o'clock, a five o'clock, or four o'clock, six and a set and eight or whatever. So you got the eight o'clock kick off your eye, but you could get the four o'clock and it was brutal at times. You know, it wasn't always really hot, but there were certain games that were absolutely roasting. But I think the, the intensity of the game just came down. But I do, we played, I think it was Western United, it was about 42 degrees or 41. And there was 15 minutes, every 15 minutes there was a water break. But the SNC and the nutrition's people that were there were brilliant. But I remember thinking the first 15 minutes, I am dying here. I can't play this game. And then looking at my opponent, I mean, as soon as I realised he was the same, you know, it kind of, it almost gave you that boost. And when you were only playing 15 minute blocks, you kind of psychologically could do it. And I actually remember playing well that day and we got a good win, but it was, yeah, it was very, very challenging and um, something you had to deal with. But it was, it was probably nicer than playing in some of the cold weather we play in here in the, the minus degrees and the snow and winter. It was, it was you know it was a different different problem altogether there was no and wind what about the the traveling was it was yeah the travel of... was funny like so we there was less games over there so there's only 26 games a season and again there's sort of that balance from a lifestyle point of view it was great because you played a match and you maybe a week that you maybe played on a friday night and the next match wasn't the following sunday so it was lovely because you got a couple of days off and i give you an example we played on a, a saturday and our next game wasn't the following monday so the manager just says, look, take Sunday, Monday off. And I went to the Australian Open in Melbourne. It was brilliant, awesome. you know, because we were in Melbourne. We actually played in Melbourne and the manager allowed a lot of us to stay on. It was brilliant. And you were getting to travel and see about Australia. Um, unlike the Irish League sort of setup or in Scotland or in the UK where, you know, you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and you're almost flogged. It, it was a lot more relaxed that way. And you were able to prepare and really play each game at a high intensity. And I suppose with the heat, they needed that. But the travel is also... and. Um. Yeah, you just got used to the travel. Like it was again, we would have we would have had to drive maybe two or three hours to Sydney Airport a lot of the time, and then fly. So we weren't probably, but we were on that east coast, which was better. But yeah, like I remember playing in New Zealand and and Perth. The thing for me was I saw them as being mini holidays because I'd never been. So it was. I remember going like three hours to Sydney, or two hours in the airport, and it was like a five hour flight to Perth. But I mean, you had. You'd all like you, you were well set up books and I was doing the open university. I'm still doing the open university degree, so I was able to work on it. And I have to say like the lads were very welcoming um, and we would have played a little, you know, there's a couple of great friends that I'm still friendly with now that I'm still text all the time and would have played card games and um, you know, watched movies and done things and there was a real good team togetherness because we were travelling so much together and we spent so much time together. So but it was long, but as I said, it wasn't as it wasn't actually as many games. You only had thirteen away games a year, you know, so it wasn't uh, as, as bad as probably people think and the, and the heat was something you get used to but definitely something that would take you a long time to get used to if I wasn't <laughs> Do you think if, if it wasn't for the COVID pandemic and the position in, you would have taken the deal to stay in Australia because you were thriving over there because I remember reading stories that you were doing really well and, and uh, Michael O'Neill and things like that like do you think you would have 
grass thought opportunity? I suppose you need a bit of luck in football and things to maybe work out. But at the same time, I had great luck in my my loan to Nockbreda and then Glenavon and things working out and talk about people being suspended at the start of the year and hitting shots that went off the post. And, and then, the, you know, that year was particularly, that was very difficult. That year of sort of 2020 was extremely challenging because my thoughts were I'm going to go back to Hearts. You know, they're going to get relegated and I'm going to try and play in the championship team or they're going to stay up. And it's a team that's been struggling. I'm going to try and come back. I haven't had a good loan. I'll get a good goal getting in that team. Or if that doesn't work out, I have an offer to go to Australia. So I have two good options. Go back and challenge. See how I get on in pre-season. I can go back to Australia. And they both sort of evaporated together, which was very disappointing. And I suppose it was a very time, hard time then to find a new club because nobody had any money. And, uh, you know, with the COVID pandemic and stuff too. But yeah, I mean, I think I might have potentially went back. I loved it in Australia. And, um I could have went back and then it's it's hard to guess where I would have gone from there. You know, you see some of those lads I played with and against that were doing so well in the Australian World Cup, I think, or for Australia in the World Cup. It was actually funny to see how many of them had come through the A-League and some of the good moves that they've got since. And um, you never know who you might have met out there and you might have ended up staying. But I always believe everything you know happens for a reason. And, you know, I'm very happy in my life here of playing at a big public mentor and I'm very happy with sort of friends and family I have here. But it was, it was still, it was a great experience and a great thing to have to have I suppose done in my life and and uh yeah it was it was just like even you know just think back reminiscing about it it was it was some great experiences one thing that's remained consistent in your career is you've never been a player who's happy to just sit on the bench and pick up a wage packet um and that if you've looked you, you can see that the whole way through your career you you made the move from hearts to barrow then um uh, when you came back the the uk and it you weren't getting much game time at barrow so that's when the loan the Glen Torn transpired. How, how did that situation sort of, because there was a short space of time between you going to Barrow and then going to Glen Torn. Was it just a case you were just fed up not getting games? No, it wasn't even. I there was no, I had never played any games at the time I was there. It wasn't anything really to do with game time. Um, so I, I, I went to Barrow because it was, you know, the, the Glen Torn had actually tried to sign me back uh, before, but I went to Barrow and, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably not going to do too much detail, but it was a, club that had just gone up into League Two and um without going into too much detail, I was living in you know, different promises made about going into certain accommodation and things and whatever. And um it was just a very difficult setup. I, I was meant to be put in a, a sort of a flatter apartment and I was instead put in a hotel and I was originally meant to be for three days and it turned out to be six weeks. And I was bouncing around different sort of three star, two star hotels off the side of motorways. Um and because of the situation of COVID, it probably made it worse. But at that level, you know, and I suppose that's where the level the level of players in League Two is very strong in League One. But the the professionalism at times, and some compared to the League Two clubs like that and the Irish League clubs, is night and day. I mean, like we at Barrow, we had to watch our own kit, so we were given one kit, and there was no washing machine in the hotel. So I was sort of asking the question, well, where where can I wash my kit, or what can I do? But nobody seemed to come up with any solution to that. So I had to sort of wash my kit in the bath or not wash it at all and it was it was a very difficult time for me probably you know as I say the disappointment of coming back from Australia and, and what happened at Hearts and then to go to to Barrow and sort of be waking up even have, I used to have to stop at the little sort of service station because it was on the side of a motorway this hotel stop at a service station buy a 95p milk fill up my breakfast because all the hotels had no restaurant open I had no fridge in my room nowhere to store any food fill up my milk have my breakfast go into training there was no food or breakfast or any food at the training ground Warm a dirty kid, go into training, 
and it was difficult. I was I was the only non-English sort of player there, and it was a very much man's environment, which you would probably, as you would expect, to survive in that sort of level. Um, and then I tore, tore like my ankle and sort of about two or three weeks in in a bad tackle. And it was difficult because we trained in Manchester at Barrow, but the whole team played in Barrow. So even when they were going to play friendlies in Barrow, there was only one physio and he went with the, wherever the team went. So if the team went to Barrow or they went to Exeter or wherever, I was in the, we trained at a college. I was in the college on my own, maybe being sent a programme, do this, this and this. And it was, I kind of just got very frustrated by that. You know, it wasn't kind of what I would, had expected it to be. And I sort of set a deadline with the club that if it wasn't in an accommodation and things weren't improving by a certain time, then I would come home. And um, as I say, Glen Torna tried to sign me that summer and um, around Wendy and obviously knowing him from, from my time at Glen Avon and stuff and sort of managed to speak out. And I, wanted, I was trying to leave um Barrow permanently, but they wouldn't let me go. The manager, David Dunn at the time, said, look, we'll let you go on loan to January 1st and we'll sort this out. So when you come back in January, this will all be sorted. And if it's not, I promise I'll let you go permanently. Um, so I kind of agreed to that, although I wanted to go permanently. Um, but as I say, there was no game. So it wasn't even that it was a lack of game time or anything. I wasn't, there was no matches in that sort of time. I think I'd left before the games had even started. Um, so came back to Glen Torn and then just very unfortunately that I didn't have a great six months between what happened in Australia and Scotland and then Barrow and then I broke my leg after three games at at Glentorn. So it was a very, very, very difficult sort of six, seven months. Yeah, I sort of remember. I, I, cause I remember you signing on loan from the, uh, for the Glens and I just remember, so that's where I've got mixed up because I remember it was October. So I was sitting yes, thinking... Yes, the, the season had been moved for COVID. Yeah. It was the same in League Two. That's what I meant by... Hearts, because Hearts had been relegated, we our season in Scottish Championship wasn't starting back in October, but the Premiership had started back in August. So we weren't back training and you were sort of then behind and then you're trying to find a new club. My team, my club at the time weren't training. So it was really challenging. But you're right, I, I think I went alone in the sort of September, October, but none of the leagues had actually started. It was kind of a strange, the transfer window must have, can't even really remember, the transfer window must have been yeah. shifted or something. I think you were allowed to sign, yeah, I think it, the transfer window was shifted and I think they allowed loan signings throughout okay. or something. As well, yeah. but a weird, a weird time altogether. It was, it was a time that over there we don't have to repeat, but yeah, it was just it was difficult like to come back and then break your leg, you know, having not really played for six or seven months, but like everybody with the COVID pandemic and then to be out for another year was very, very difficult. Like, and it was just, uh, you know, something that sort of set me back definitely for, for 18 months or so. I, re- I remember when I remember the day you signed. Saturday night, um, it was announced. Mm. Uh, I remember it being announced. I remember thinking, I was texting a mate, and it was like, the, that's the final piece of the jigsaw because we we built this team and we were lacking this sort of left-sided versatile player, and we thought, well, that that's the final piece of the jigsaw. And then there was those times of the streams, um, and I remember sitting home watching Glenthorne play Corey in a way, um, and it was on a on a stream they were trying this double shot thing they were trying to show the game from two different angles right. I haven't tried it before and it, it was just a nightmare it was you couldn't really catch up the game but then I seen your, your injury and it was awful and you could tell it was terrible because you know everyone's surrounding you at the time and it took a long time um just talk me through that like that must have been really really difficult oh it was grim like you know it's hard to kind of put into words apart from you know I suppose only people that have actually gone through that injury was fully appreciated like just ball bounced and I stepped in and cleared up the pitch and when his foot hit my leg, it just had a massive crack and felt it sort of separate. And then when I hit the ground, just this huge rush of pain. And I looked up, my leg was sort of flopped to the side and sort of twisted. And as I say, I'd just come back from the, all the COVID. Then I'd torn a leg at my ankle and then I had this. And it was just for someone I'd never really been injured or never for 
from when I started playing sports when I was six or seven, never took a break because as I say, I was playing Gaelic and football co- concurrently and, you know, it was just a, you know, Gareth Robinson was the physio at the time and I was so fortunate, you know, he was, he looked after me unbelievably well and, and managed, you know, and, and to be fair, Glen Torn looked after me well too. Like, as I say, my loan was meant to finish with Barrow when the first of, or with Glen Torn on the 1st of January, but I kind of just, asked Lindorn could I stay because the physio department and the medical department in the gym was much much superior to what I would have been going back to in England and um, thankfully they agreed to do that but it was it was disappointing obviously as you say I was coming to Glintorn hoping to try and you know be successful and sort of get kick-started and, and maybe potentially go back to England or see what options I might have had or maybe stay and try and do as well as I could for Glintorn and um, yeah it was just it was a really tough year because you know when you see lads now get injured they maybe take it as an opportunity to do other things go and travel, go on a bit more holidays, you know, and, and they're maybe allowed to do that and, you know, go and watch games, um, you know, go and, go and watch games in England or Scotland or whatever. But I was in the middle of a COVID pandemic, so I could do nothing. Even when I was in hospital for the first week, I couldn't get any visitors. And that sort of just continued. Like, I was just no, you know, there was nothing else open, nothing closed. And that was why, to be fair, I always say I was very appreciative to the BBC because they allowed me to do some of the commentary stuff. And I'm sure uh, their listeners are maybe less appreciative than they're going <laughs> sick of hearing me they were delighted when I came back but um it was a brilliant it was just a great experience for me because it gave me something to focus and I had so, was felt like I was still involved in football and it was great fun and you met other people and just gave me something to do because my mental health in that period it was difficult you know it really was a tough period I'm sure for everybody in COVID but I had sort of gone from being in Australia one year to back living with my parents struggling to get out of bed thinking as my career over you know the surgeon basically said you, you might never play again and sort of started speeding up my open university degree at that point to try and get it done and prepare that way and it was it was really difficult but as I say Glenn Torn looked after me well and then the physio I had Gareth Robinson was just exceptional and um, I suppose that really when I when I then did come back from that leg break that the way that Glenn Torn sort of looked after me was was a strong point and why I kind of resigned. We got a real insight into your rehab um, because Mick said at the time it was important to keep you around the first team so that you didn't feel like you were being isolated. And then we got to see videos of you doing various different... And you never get to see that with footballers. Yeah. Um, so we, we got to see that sort of rehabilitation. It was pretty amazing. It, did you feel it was important did you, for you to be around the team, to still be in football rather than disappearing for a year and no one hearing from you? Yeah, it was massive. I think that's the same for all players. You know, Luke McCullough's just come through that period of his ACL and there's always, you know, I suppose, unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast when you're playing at elite level, there's going to be injuries and... Um, it does, it keeps you involved and it keep, keeps you sort of driving on to actually want to do your rehab and do it right and I found the first part of my rehab was okay because you were in the gym and as you know the gym and the oval is no real window so I loved it because you were just, the other lads were out training and playing but I took no notice of that, I was doing my job when I was doing it and actually because I was doing the commentary I didn't really get to that many Glendoran games so it wasn't, I wasn't feeling like I was watching them and missing them um, but when I started back running a little bit and training a little bit but I couldn't do any more, that was probably the hardest bit you know, you're five months down the track and you're still struggling to jog up and down in a straight line, your your mind starts to wobble a bit more and you're seeing the guys train and you want to take part and, and you're being sort of held back a little bit. But um yeah, it was it was a tough period definitely, but hopefully not something I'll have to experience again. And I suppose physically it took the twelve months to get back, but it, you know, when when I then did come back to Glentorn again, it did definitely take me a couple of months before I was fully confident going into tackles and really leave my leg dangled in for someone that you know and the nature of the Irish league is so physical that you know even now you're always still conscious and you know 
definitely be, you know, when you see some of the shin guards the players were, I'd not be following the Jack Greenleaf trend <laughs> for, for the rest of my days. I'll have big, strong shin guards on, you know. <laughs> Shannon Lucas run the bike with MB. <laughs> Didn't want to mention him, yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of the media stuff, um, you, you you seem to have a real knack for it. Did you think that you would be as good at it? Like as as established at it? You sort of um, there were the, basically the coverage increased tenfold during the pandemic, which is a massive massive thing. I think it's great to give people so many opportunities, and they give you that opportunity. Did you did you did, were you nervous going into it? I was nervous going in, yeah. I think I and I've known the likes of Joel Tiger and Thomas Kane a little bit from just um just different knowing different people and playing I suppose in the Irish League with Glenavon and um they sort of supported me and got me on. And then once I did a couple of games with them, I think other people in the BBC took notice and were keen to get me on the different shows and things and it was brilliant. I think the coverage they actually got in that period that you know, that thanks to Neil Britton, Joel Tiger and Thomas Kane and so on. You know, it was great and it's led to increased support from the league and now the games are being streamed more regularly, which is fantastic. And um I just loved it. I loved the experience and I just sort of pretended I was talking to them and I always just wanted to sort of make it quite conversational and I suppose that's what I like listening to. So I know everybody likes a different style, but I just sort of went with the flow of it and I've never had a problem talking. I wish I could play like I talk, I would be I wouldn't be <laughs> I'd be playing for flipping the I'd be playing in this world cover of Champions League game or something. But the um yeah, it was a good experience, and, and as I say, you met a lot of good people, and another kind of good thing that I've sort of experienced that I've had in my life, and I would, I probably will do it again, you know, a bit more when my career's over, but I kind of went to sign for Glen Torn, sort of made the decision I wouldn't do as much of that sort of work when I'm playing in the league, because I don't think it's maybe appropriate to comment on what, you know, Adam Leckie's done or something for Crusaders or Ross Clark, and then have to play them a week later, and, you know, you have to be honest, I never wanted to do it and sit in the fence if, if somebody misses a sitter, you can't say, oh, they should, you know, I was unlucky. You have to say it as it is. And then you don't want to be playing against them a week later and they're sort of out to get you because you, you've criticized the mistake they've made. Yeah. So I've kind of come away from it, but I still do a little bit some the odd time, maybe like at the Milk Cup or the Centenary Shield or something like that. Um, I would maybe still do like if it was something that maybe we weren't directly involved in or whatever. So uh, still something I enjoy and maybe something I'll look to do a wee bit more again. In the in the future, hopefully a few years from now, I'm still I'm still playing. Yeah, I felt I felt sorry. I was listening to, um, I watched. I was going. I had an early morning flight, so I didn't go to Korea a few weeks ago. I watched it on TV. Um, and Philip Lowry was on, who commentary, and I felt a bit sorry for him because he 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 sort of knew he had to sit in the fence. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he could tell, like every single challenge was oh, it's one of them ones 50-50, You know, it's like everything. He didn't. He didn't. He wouldn't say. He wouldn't commit the anything. Yeah, that's what. I, that's that's what I want to avoid. And I'm sure it was left him a bit of an awkward position. You know, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it my own way, as I say. And and I think the BBC were quite good. There was. It's funny, like people sort of said to me, like, "What training did you get?" Or what? And I was like, you know, there wasn't. Well, I never was sat in front of a room and trained her to do it. I was basically just told by Joel Taggart, "I'll nod when you speak." And you know, when a goal goes in, don't speak for a couple of seconds. I speak, and then just be conversational. Jump in when you want, and just pretend me and you are at the match. Like two mates having a chat and laughing and joking. Don't swear, don't say anything offensive, and just pretend you're having a chat in the game. So that's what I did. And some of the rubbish we talked about and joked about bums and scones and referees wearing, um, you know, multicolored socks and all sorts of rubbish. Like, um, Joel would have, and Joel was hilarious, and Thomas Kane the same. And I suppose it was interesting just seeing the radio, the TV was quite interesting too, because obviously on TV, you know, you can't, you know, the people are seeing it for themselves, but in radio, you have to be more descriptive. and you have to state the obvious because the person is is blind to what is actually being you're actually saying. So 
It was. It was quite cool actually. Just um, seeing the psyche of that, you know. I remember uh, listening to you on uh, Belfast Live uh, podcast during that time, and um, you said that you during your injury you learned to play guitar, you learned to cook, uh, you did a referees course, um, and you had your degree as well, and you didn't do. Oh, I was just trying to get into everything. I, I didn't learn the guitar very well. I would still love to have done it. And sort of, my mum's a Spanish teacher. I, I would love. That's the next thing I would love to try and learn a bit of Spanish. But um, yeah, I just tried to get involved with any courses. I did a couple of week courses with UEFA and just things that were going. As I say, with the COVID pandemic happening, there was nothing going on. And um, thankfully, when things started opening up at the end, it was nice and the golf courses reopened and I could. I was getting a wee bit more mobile. Like at the start, as you say, I couldn't even drive. I couldn't get out of bed for the first couple of months, but. Yeah, it was funny doing the refereeing courses definitely was quite helpful and it's probably something that I would recommend to other players because you sort of do know the nitty gritty of the rules and you can give the referees a bit of slagging and they kind of mm. like it actually. And um, Sometimes it's kind of actually been quite useful, you know, particularly when maybe a player gets injured and the referee wants them to go off. But if the player's been booked, you know, they don't have to go off. And it's just we tricks like that where actually a few times I've been able to say, no, the player got booked for tackling him. The physio came on, you don't have to go off. You know, off to the side, if that makes sense, and back on. So it is definitely useful knowing a few of the rules and um, probably something that other, you know, would recommend the other players. And, and it does just give you a wee bit of clout to slay the referee and they're starting to second guess themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, this happened on Saturday and I'm glad you explained that. Um, so Aidan Wilson got tackled by Paul Heatley and Heatley got booked. And I was like, why does Aidan Wilson not have to go off because the physio came on? But that's yeah. obviously why. Because... I was shouting, yeah. So the physio, that, I mean, we've talked all day about rules, but the physio doesn't have to, if the physio comes on, the player's been booked, they don't have to go off, yeah. Because um, otherwise, it sort of stops the time wasting. Otherwise, every time, you, if you were winning one, then you'd just go down on their, yeah. every challenge, and the physio would run on, waste a minute. So that was sort of the reason for that. But it was quite useful, because I don't know if you remember the Crusaders penalty controversy of the Johnny Tuffy coming off the line. Yeah. I was commentating that day. And I had just done the refereeing course, so it was really useful because I was sorry, it was just the perfect time that I knew the rules and um, was able to sort of pretend I knew what I was talking about. So it was uh, that's why I kind of remember it, remember it so distinctly. Uh, you've been at the club a while now, um, even though you've only really played one full season, um, and you've probably kicked on further this season, and you've added a few goals to your game. With we touched on this earlier. Is that something that you, you wanted to do at the start of the season, or is that difficult because you don't know where you're going to be playing? Uh, I mean, it's obviously very dependent on where you're playing at times, yeah, but last season for me was just getting back, get back to playing regularly, you know, just, and for me, like at the start, I was thinking, will I ever play again, as I say, and I think it's probably the same as what Luke's probably going through now, you know, you're, it's, you're trying to build up that consistency in your minutes and your performances, and I probably found that I maybe sometimes played a couple of good games, and you maybe had a poorer game, and you know, to be fair, and look, he's been brilliant since he's come back, and and I, you know, it's 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 such a difficult thing, you know, and he's probably more used to it than I was, but um, as I say, yeah, like it was it was hard sort of switching positions at different times at the start, and um, it was great to get a good run on the team, yeah, but I think you know last season was very disappointing for us to win nothing with the squad that we have was very disappointing, and we're all here to win trophies and try and do well for the club, and I suppose when I sat down in the summer, I ended up. We only get a very short break off, and in that break, I kind of thought, what can I do better, or what can we do as a team better that can improve next year, and sort of setting down good standards and um, was one of them, but another one was we were highly reliant on Jay and Mac to score the goals, and it was, there was games last season where if they didn't score, we didn't win, or you know, and that was as simple as that, so that was one of the things this year, I sort of felt I've got to try and add goals to my game, and we as a sort of midfielder, so 
been great, obviously, to get as many games as I have in midfield. And um, sometimes I have to play in the six role and I'm maybe not able to get as forward as much. But when I'm sort of given that license to get forward, I just try and get in the box. And you see the number of goals that the likes of Philip Lowry um, and Leroy Miller have got this year from midfield. It's incredible. And there's, you know, there's goals to be had in the Irish League from midfield runners because people don't want to track them. And once you get in, they might not be the prettiest goals, but you're getting into good areas and you can score. And, and I definitely feel that if we can get more goals from around the team, we'll be able to you know, increase our chance of winning games. And it's nice to get up there and to be on the score sheet. And as I say, I feel like when I'm playing in midfield, I can add that to my game. And I, I think I can score more. You know, I think I can get in the box more. I think I can get more assists. I think I, we can score from maybe I can improve my corners and do that. And, and that's what I'm focusing on now at the minute when we're not doing well, is to continue to focus on what I can do better for the team rather than looking at everybody else and saying, why, why is he not doing this or what's happening here, you know? I think the most important thing for me is to try and focus on improving my contribution to the greater team, if that makes sense. And we have a lot of a lot of listeners. Um, I, I get the statistics for, for the podcast. A lot of our listeners would be between that 16 to 24 age bracket and the young footballers themselves. Um, you've you've got a degree or you're doing a degree at the minute. And I seen a video on, on social media recently you did for the um, Open University. It was very good. Uh, and you're you're sort of a long way off retirement, but you put a lot of focus on education and playing and what you do after your playing days. And do you think that's important? And if you're speaking to say the young the younger listeners or the younger players, young would that be your advice? Is to do as much in education as you can? So you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's incredibly important. And people talk to me all the time about a plan B, which I think is ridiculous. But the plan B is only necessary if your football career stops. You know, 18, 20, 24, but even in an ideal world, if I played in 35 and a full-time professional, that would be incredible. But even in that world, I'm still 30 years off retirement, you know, you can't, you know, so the idea that you can just retire and worry about it later is is naive. One for me that, you know, by that stage, I could have a family, kids, mortgage, you know, you don't know what that could bring at that age. So I think it's imperative at, at this early age when you've got the time, especially, you know, I'm eight, you know started my uni degree at 18, you know, you know you may be single or whatever, you have no kids and um, you have no real responsibilities. It's a great time to kind of do these educational courses because they'll stand by you. Um, and, you know, it has been difficult. I'm sort of five five years down the line and have one year to go. And um, it's it's challenging, like, you know, and especially now, you know, you've got more interest in life and you're starting to really try and get wee bits of work experience and girlfriend and stuff. It's You're busier to kind of get it done. But It'll be great for me once I have that degree done. If I can keep getting little bits of work experience in sort of sports administration, then hopefully I'll be well prepared for after retirement. I'll be able to step into a job because it's just mad how many kids go away at 16 for give up their education and then, you know, just find it very difficult. And when you talk about your mental health and sort of setting up your life, it, it can be very challenging. So I think that that's one of the big things I would always encourage players to get into education. And it doesn't have to be maths or English. It could be, you know, I speak to some of the players in our teams about, you know, do a barbering course, do a joinery, do an electrician, but do something that when you retire, you've got something that you've got to, and, and even just try things, because you, sometimes you maybe think you won't like something, or you think, oh, I love that, but, you know, when we get three, four weeks holiday in the summer, go and find a friend that's an, an electrician and say, can I be an electrician's mate for a week or three days just to see, do I like it, you know, and um, I suppose that's, I love sort of experiencing different things in life and um, going to different countries, doing different roles and doing different educational courses and I'm always open and wanting to learn and even now I'm sort of wanting to do my coaching badges and do other different sports administration courses but uh, sometimes it take on a little bit too much but it's always something that I'm very much pushing to, 
sort of learn more and be more prepared. And as you say, when when you when I broke my leg, that it never hit home more than then because I'm always very conscious that I'm one tackle off maybe retirement. Um, and so that day could come much closer than you think. And and uh, yeah, hopefully when I get that degree next year, I'll be sort of ready that at least I'll not be totally reliant on on the, the football. There's there's now you're mentioning all that then. Um, there's the PFA now in the Irish League. Um, would you like to see yourself getting involved there? You, I mean, you've been through it. You've been through a potential career and an injury, all that stuff you've just said. And um, they're speaking to young footballers and current footballers and footballers who are finishing their career. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. I think it's fantastic that we've got a PFA here. I think fans probably do see some of the need, but there's a huge need there. You know, you look at mental health aspect, the educational aspect that's needed. You talk about some maybe... You know things that people have in normal life, but you look at particularly in sport. You know maybe players that need a little bit of financial advice because their financial earnings are going to be front loaded to the early part of their their life, um, and then even sort of gambling and um, other addictions. You know I think that PFA will have a very strong uh, role to play in Northern Ireland. It's fantastic to see it in use. And as I say, having been part of the Scottish, English, and Australian PFAs and um, benefited from the likes of their educational grounds, I know that. Um, you know how good they can be, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've obviously, uh, it's something that, yeah, maybe I would consider doing in the future or considering helping out in any way I can. And I know that I've spoken to some of the people there about the Open University degree and trying to push that with players in the Irish League. And the video was actually it was great. There was a lot of hours in it actually, more than you think. But um, it was a great video to have. And actually, I've had a few other Irish League players from different clubs message me about the degrees that I'm doing and and maybe showing an interest in doing something themselves. So it's uh, it's great that that video got such good awareness and and hopefully. It'll help maybe set up a few other lads from to sort of do something similar. Well, Bobby, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You've given me way more time than you had to. It's been really, really good and really interesting to speak to you. You've had such a very career. You're still such a young age. You really are. Great to see you've really kicked on this year, um, especially in getting the play midfield a bit more. And fingers crossed we can get back on the back on the horse, so to speak, uh, right a few wrongs over the next few weeks and see what we can do this season. Thanks very much, Anna. Thanks very much for having me on. And as you say, if we win these next couple of games, we'll, we'll have to keep uh, trucking. And, and hopefully when I'm speaking to you again, we'll be in a, on a more positive footing. But we'll keep the faith and keep working away. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to bring some success back to the Oval in May. So there you have it. That is the episode with Bobby Burns. He was a great guest. I'm sure you will agree. Interesting to hear about his experience at Barrow. Um, he's not the first player that we've had on to, to say they had a, um, a similar experience Curtis Allen he, I think he said that he had similar experience when he was over in Inverness and I've, and I've heard other players have him and it does seem to be a problem um, and an amazing experience for him at, at Newcastle Jets too I would love to go to Australia let alone be able to pay to play football in Australia so um, pretty amazing experience for him um, he was a great guest so thanks very much to Bobby for coming on uh, adding this wee bit in because I uh, received a message from someone says you should try and do you know, you outro to your podcasts make it as, um, as professional as a start rather than just ending and I have always wondered about ending the podcast because I do just come to an abrupt end and I don't like it when I'm listening to the podcast and that happens so maybe I'll do this um, from now on so we will have a Christmas special coming up uh, I am I have yet to get in contact with the guests so I'm saying we will have the, the special that's as long as the guests want to come on I'm sure you will be um, so I'm going to actually release that before Boxing Day uh, just to get you in the mood um, so hopefully hopefully we're on a good run by then so 
keep an eye out for that uh, guest reveal coming soon and then the episode will be out uh, the week of Christmas so uh, yeah enjoy the rest of your weekend or if you're listening to this uh, during the week then enjoy the rest of the week and we will be back before before uh, back.